Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about
Radio on the air live today. I am your host, Letitia Wong, on air today with Thomas Smith. Thomas, how are you today? Irritated. <laughs> I hear you've been having computer problems. Oh, it's not computer problems. It's Facebook problems. Yeah, I hear that too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but other than that, I'm doing well. I still wrestle with the fact that if we, everybody, nobody ever says they like Facebook, but we're all on it, and for some reason we can't, you know, we we don't live a day without it, but we all hate it. So I always wonder, why don't we just get off Facebook and get on all, there's hundreds of other alternative social medias out there, social media platforms out there, but it Probably seems like Facebook is the place to be. Because of what? Owned by liberals. So you just take your pick of them, they're all owned by liberals, doesn't matter which one. <laughs> yeah, they're all owned by liberals, except Tea Party, Conservative, Book, whatever that's called. Ah. So. Well, you know, this is this is the free market. If cons- I would say I would say to, to conservatives, if you don't like Facebook, you need to make one that can rival it. Yeah, that, that's the long and short of it. That's the long and short of it. Yeah, the problem is that conservatives don't like to spend people spend money to do anything. Sure. Of course. So they're in life problem. That's not a problem. This is just this is how how America works. If you have a winning product, it'll win. I mean, it wins because it's a winning product because it wins. So far, Facebook is a winning problem until everybody gets sick of it, completely sick of it, and leaves. It will always be a winning product. We chose to be there, and we can choose to leave. Those are the type of choices that we have. I'm all for those choices. You too? Me too. (laughs) Right. All right. Can you, uh, would you like to bring us up to speed on our prayer and our scripture reading today? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed may live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, I give you glory, honor, and praise. Father, we lift up to you once again another episode of Pro-Life Fridays Radio, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to once again to spread your message of life, of grace, mercy, of healing, and of forgiveness. Father, I thank you for my host, and I thank you for our guest today, Lord. Just pray that they are here that they would show 
that they would be a blessing to the listener and that they would be blessed for being a part of Pro-Life Fridays Radio. We give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow. I have a couple of things to report on today. And our guests, um, somehow we dropped the ball. We had made appointments for them to be on today. Um, but then I got a message <laughs> from uh, Rekha Sharma, who was supposed to speak with us, saying, I don't I don't remember booking this, or were we supposed to meet beforehand? And uh, so I sent a really quick message. Maybe she'll be on today, and maybe she won't. But if she's not on today, we will schedule her for another day. And Shan, uh, we did speak with her last week, so I kind of assumed that she was going to call back in. Uh, we don't know about that yet, but we do have a couple of things to talk about. Um, the first thing uh, is yesterday I attended um, a very special seminar that was hosted by uh, one of the local churches here in St. Louis and the Concerned Women for America uh, in, in Missouri, Missouri's Concerned Women for America. And it was a very interesting, interesting seminar. They had on, uh, let, me, let me double check her name, Audrey. She's a, she's a nurse who spent uh, nine years, I believe, working for the HIV and STD ward in a hospital. She had been um, a stay-at-home mom for a little while, raising her kids, but she was a nurse. So she wanted to go back to work uh, at least part-time, and one of the only positions that was available to her at that time when she was looking for work in the 90s was in the HIV and STD special section of, of, a, of a hospital. And that is a hospital, she said, also uh, helped the community, helped certain, <clears throat> excuse me, helped certain organizations deliver sex education messages to colleges, high school students, wherever they were invited. or um, And they had college courses where they taught sex ed. And so she, back in the 90s, was uh, pretty new to this issue. She was like, okay, all right, you know, we're, we're for, I'm, I'm for reducing the, the incidence of STDs and HIV. And if we're doing it by educating young people, <clears throat> and, and that would it decrease the level of of uh, infection, the number of infections, then that sounds great. So she did more research, she did her job, and over the course of a few years, she began to see that the incidence of patients coming into the HIV and STD ward where she worked had not gone down but gone up. And so she's like, why is it going up? So to find out the answer, she did more research about just what it was that sex education actually teaches people. And she was a little startled to find out the origins. 
And we've never talked about this on this show, and so I wanted to. So we will have a future show where we'll ask. Excuse me. Where we were going, we are going to ask um, Audrey Werner. That's her her last name, Audrey Werner, to come and talk about the history of sex education in America. But what she revealed to us, or what I learned yesterday, uh, was was very, very informative. It was not earth-shattering for me because I always expect, uh, expected to hear that sex education was doing the opposite of what people said it was going to do, just like most liberal programs in this, in this country. It does the opposite of what it's supposed to, to do. Uh, so I wasn't surprised to learn that the way they were educating young people about sex education was only encouraging young people to engage in the very activities that put them in ri at risk for HIV and STD contraction. Are you surprised, Thomas? Uh, you put yourself on mute. Thanks a lot. <laughs> not at all. I'm not surprised. I have to mute myself just to keep the background noise down. Oh, yeah, I understand. But yes, no, there's there's no surprise at all. But it's another confirmation that all these centralized big idea programs that come from liberals, and I, I don't even want to use the term liberal because that's not even half of the discussion at hand here. But broad brushing speakingly, I'm speaking broad brushingly, um, all these major programs that have been instituted through through government, through large foundations, liberal foundations, infiltrating down into the universities and public schools um, and public announcements have all failed on a fundamental level to achieve the stated goal of reducing whatever it is that they want to reduce, be it infectious diseases, well, maybe not infectious diseases, that's really common sense, especially sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, poverty, education, educa lowered ex educational uh, achievement, etc. Every major program that has come down the pike has failed miserably. Why? Because they're liberal programs. And the f major failure here with sexual, sex education, you're waiting for me to get to the punchline, is not because they, of the lack of education. It is what they're educating young people to do. Now, the founder... Right. All sex education, we have never gotten to it on the show, so I am eager to put together a program on this, but I'll give everybody a little bit of information of what I learned yesterday, <clears throat> was uh, about uh, this doctor named Joseph Kinsey. And I don't want to make it sound like I've never heard of him before, because I have. I just haven't learned as much about him as, um, as I did yesterday, because I had not looked into the issue of sex education. Hey, Leticia. With... Leticia. Yes. Isn't, yes. Isn't this the same? Isn't this the same, Dr. Joseph Kinsey, that when people dug a little bit into 
um, his background that they found out that he was some type of pervert or pedophile or something like that? Is this the same guy or well, a different we're, person? We're, it, is, it is the same guy, uh, but more accurately, uh, he was a gay man uh, with gay relationships la- that, um, well, at the time, and in the, in the, he published his work in about 1953 um, and oh, okay. started what was called the sexual revolution because of what he wrote. Um, That's right. In the 60s, in the 60s and the 70s, and even into the 80s, uh, his real lifestyle was kept a hidden fact because he had a family. He was married. He had children, and they kind of pushed that out there as here he's a family guy with with kids. You know, he's 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 just like everyone. But in fact, he was a he was a practicing homosexual who had a family. But in his writings and, and what he advocated, and this is all open secret. This is not. This is no more. No longer a closed book anymore because everything's out. The people are out. Out of the closet. Uh, the truth is out. So this, there's no denying this anymore. I mean, I'm not saying anything that nobody knows. Right. He wrote that most most sexual what we call with sexual deviancy is actual sex, actually sexually norm. So he went and did his research, his kind of this definitive work that set the stage for all sex ed from that point on forward. Um, he was right. He was doing his research in the 40s. And in the 40s, most of our young men in America were fighting overseas in World War II. So he did not have the average American male on the street to interview to do his research. So what he did instead was he did his research in America's prisons. Wow. And he interviewed the subjects for his science project for his surveys, were prisoners. And not only were they prisoners, he sought out the most sexually deviant prisoners in prison. And then he made those men, and later on he did the same thing with women, he made those men and to be the average American male sex experience if that makes any grammatical sense at all. It doesn't. But so, he turned the – turned... Leticia, hold on. Let me, let me see if I can – let me make sure I'm understanding this correctly. And I'm just going to ask one question as an example. So if what I'm understanding you are saying to be correct, this person – I don't even want to refer to him as a man because I don't know what he was. But he found that stuff like having sex with dead bodies, necrophilia, or necrophilia, um, in animals, that's normal? What he declared at the end of his research, is that there is no sexual practice that can be called immoral or deviant or anything. He was pretty much an 
anything goes type of guy, type of man. And that's what he eventually pushed for in his writings and of his associates. All his associates pushed for that. Total acceptance of any sexual practice, no matter with what or whom. Let's just leave it at that. But yet, but so, so let me, so anything goes as normal, but to save the life, to fight to save the life of a baby and a post-abortive mom, that's immoral and infringing on the rights of a woman's privacy. Where do you know that folks yeah. I know that folks like to say that these individuals are enlightened, but where do they find these stupid people? Because quite frankly, and I know they say, you shouldn't, Tommy, it's not nice to say stupid. That's stupid. <laughs> that is straight up stupid. Now, now I'm going to go on the, I'm going to go on my little, diatribe for a minute, and then we have Shannon on, on waiting to share her complete story. But what what really angers me about this whole thing is when I hear people say stuff like that, they disregard the life of a child, an unborn, or they tell or they tell a mom just because her social economic background isn't the best that. Um, that she shouldn't have had a baby? Excuse me. I would give my arm and my leg to be married and to be able to have children. But fortunately, thanks to the state, they deemed that me being a certain racial background that I was socially unfit to be able to have children. Therefore, I was surgically sterilized. I can't have children. I I live vicariously through the beautiful babies of other people. So when I hear when I hear a, a flaming pro-abort, a raging lunatic talking about it's a woman's issue. It's not a man's issue. Excuse me, but the last time I looked, unless a woman engaged in artificial insemination, it took two to make that baby. I well, love and you. even then, I can never, and even then, I can never, where do you get the sperm from? Well, it still comes from a man, so you're right. That's you, right. Absolutely. But... <laughs> The whole thing, the whole thing with that is that I get sick and tired. All I have is to fight for the post-abortive mom in the unborn baby. That's all I have, mm-hmm. because I will never have the opportunity to leave a family legacy in my life, <clears throat> even with adoption, because the way they have geared and gain the adoption system. Because, see, remember, folks, the adoption process in America is also controlled by liberals. And it is so expensive that kids 
let me let me just put it like this, and then I'll toss it back to you. The fact that me and my sister were adopted, we're anomalies because kids don't normally get adopted at the age of seven and eight. I was seven. My sister was eight. So we were the exceptions to the rules because society wants the babies and as they should be. But at the same time, to try to, I personally believe, to try to make their point, they leave kids once they're, they reach a certain age to rot in a system that's broken and ineffective. And I know because I'm speaking from firsthand experience, when you have someone who would not even remove the child, myself, from the home when when he was being abused, the system it was about money, just like just like abortion. So also, Letitia, part of our battle, we have to fix the adoption process, the foster care process, so that we can stop the one million children in America who are ending up in prostitution and other sex trafficking um, rings. See, a lot of people oh, I don't agree. realize that. I agree. Lots of, oh my, I could go on, but uh, I'm going to toss it back to you because um, it gets my blood to boiling when it comes to that issue. I love well, her. I, I know you do. And, and you know, I think God will bless you for that. I don't know what that's going to look like, if, if it looks like a family for you in the future or not. I don't know. You know, sometimes the prophet does not have the word from God about that. I'm sorry, but I don't right. know. But I do know that God will bless you because Whatever. of your and because of your heart. And it, it is it, it, to get back to what we're talking about. It is it is it, the fact that the bottom line here, when we're talking about uh, Joseph Kinsey being the the sole provider of all that is sex ed in this country, not only are are is is it um, is his research, his fraud research, and his ideas being promoted has been has been promoted for all these decades since the 60s in secular schools public universities not only that but private universities private high schools as well as church based programs you say what i say yes because by some some reason, I mean, the reason why I say he is the sole provider of this information is because he is the sole provider of this information. Nobody else published what they what he published during the 1950s, and it is his word that has been unquestionably 
used to establish our collective views on sexuality and sexual practices in this country since the 1960s. Right. Right. We have been dipped in everything except we we have been we are Achilles having been dipped head, shoulders, body, feet, and and legs totally into this river of sexual understanding or how it's being taught up until our Achilles heels. And let me tell you, this is the Achilles heel of the sexual education programs that are being run in the US, United States, wherever it's been run. It's all Kinsey-based. And it is not this man's lifestyle that discredits what he wrote. What discredits what he wrote is the truth that his research is based on a lie. His research is based on people who are not fit to be used as research uh, subjects for his for his uh, propositions. Not only that, look at who he associated with and who promoted his ideas. Now separate the research from what his ideas are. What his ideas were was that all sexual practices should be considered normal. All sexual practices are considered um, not only normal, but frequently frequently engaged in. So yes, all of the above. I don't need to name them. I mean, he means he means, and I mean all of the above right. practices. And see, so he said, since they are being practiced, therefore. Every act of, of sexual deviancy, whether you call it deviancy or not, should be legal. Everything should be legal. Now, there is a great logic failure right there. Just because something is done does not mean it ought to be legal in the eyes of the, eyes of the law. Just because slavery was practiced does not mean it was should have been should have been legal. Just as abortion is frequently practiced today, it does not mean it should be legal. So neither is sexual deviancy, whatever you want to call it, all sexual practices done does not mean it they ought to be legal. Yet this is what he he preached back then and he um, has largely been successful, even though he does not live today. All his goals for normalizing and legalizing most sexual practices have come to pass, the latest one uh, being a lot of legalized same-sex marriage in, in certain states, in a number of states in the U.S. and overseas. Back before then... Lawrence versus Texas, um, where yeah. the Texas, the state of Texas, where the sodomy laws were overturned. Now, what is technical and what is real? What was technical is that most of the sodomy laws on, on the books in the state of Texas were still there. Did the police actively prosecute anybody for engaging in sodomy or breaking sodomy laws? No, I don't think so. But like the abortion, like Roe v. Wade, like the abortion debate, the U.S. Supreme Court argued um, 
or, or made their decision on the basis of privacy. Now, we've heard that before. It wasn't properly used then. I, I don't think it was properly used in this in Lawrence versus the state of Texas. Uh, and if you want to argue for legalization, I think, like abortion, you should have argued, they, the, the proponents for overturning the law should have argued it in a different way. But it goes to show you that our, not even our Supreme Court justices are often uh, legally prepared to, to take apart bad logic. The bad logic that led us to the passage of Roe v. Wade, or, or the, the, the following of Roe v. Wade, and also um, in 2004. So um, Kinsey's ideas have been realized from the 1950s. And what's next? Probably, most likely, the legalization, the re-legalization, for <laughs> at least in the state of Utah, of polygamy and probably pedophilia in the future for that we have had. Um, I've seen at least three or four articles in the last two months citing how psych Psychological Association, for the American Psychological Association, or some other Canadian psychology uh, foundations or groups or think tanks, are pushing to, to argue that sexual attraction to minors is a sexual orientation. We have a word for that. It's pedophilia. Whether you engage in that or not is is beside the point. The point is that they want it to be acceptable. I'll, I mean, I'll be finished in, in just a second. The point is that the agenda is to make all forms of sexual practice look and feel normal. And that was the Kinsey goal and Kinsey goal has largely been reached. So um, we're going to have much more about that uh, in a future show when we book Miss Audrey Werner on to talk about her research and, and how she learned about this. She has an incredible story we want to tell about um, her, her lifelong learning in this. So she has become um, a huge educator in this, in this regard about the truth about sex ed. And we're going to talk about another show. Uh, we're going to take a break in a minute. And so, Thomas, what do you have for us? Before you, before we take a break, um, I just want to throw this out there since you you always so effectively post things. $50 off abortions on Sundays. Need we say more? Yeah. Yeah. And they say it's not... It's, it's, and the abortion clinics say it's about women's health. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's about them making money. So let's go. Absolutely. Let's go to break it. We'll bring Miss Shannon Tatum back on, and you all are going to hear a phenomenal story of healing, forgiveness, and just pure, unconditional love. Not only for unborn babies, 
but this young woman has such unconditional love for post-abortive women as well. So stay tuned. All right, we'll be right back. If you have any questions for us or or our guests, feel free to call in. The number to call in is 760-542-3907. You are listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. And welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. We are on air live from our respective offices, home offices. In this case, it's my closet, my office in the closet. Thank you for listening to Pro-Life Fridays. I am your host, Letitia Wong. I'm on air with Thomas Smith, and we have a wonderful guest today. And we are we are very much of the philosophy that... Until abortion is shown to America for what it is, in words and in pictures, America will not reject it. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm just floored um, every time I see the when when the when the liberal news media puts you know graphic pictures of of sex acts or graphic pictures of anything. And they and they're not offended at all themselves, and they don't care that I'm offended, or most of America is offended, or that children are might see things that parents don't want them to see, and they're not bothered by that at all. But when you try to show them a picture of an aborted baby, they're all offended. Like that's so offensive. I'm sorry. Um, that just does not compute. <laughs> as being logically uh, consistent. So, and then they don't also, they also do not want to hear from women who have had abortions and regret their abortions and live to tell 
a dirty little secret about the abortion industry, that it is not about the women's health, which unlike what they preach to people that it is. So on with us today is our friend Shan Tatum, who herself is post-abortive, and she has a wonderful story of walking through the pain and uh, the experience of abortion. And her story is particularly um, important, not because there's anything really unique, because I think women are in her situation when she was young and, and having been pushed into abortion in some way, shape, or form every day. But it is precisely because so many people do live the experiences that she has um, that it's important for her to tell her story. So, Shan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Good to be back. Wonderful. Um, So, you know, we have some extra time today. I would love for you to tell us from beginning to end what you want our audience to know about your experience. I always start out by saying that um, I remember my experience as if it was, as if it happened yesterday, because that's the truth. It never goes away. Um, I was 17 years old, and although I was only 17, I knew my body, I was familiar with my body, and I had been sexually active with a guy that I was dating or had been dating, and I just remember praying to God, you know, God, don't let me be pregnant. Please don't let me be pregnant. And needless to say, I was pregnant. I remember my body changing. I I even knew exactly what was happening to me. There was pain in my stomach. And at the time, as um, a high school age child, I was able to drive myself to school and, um, I was at school, and after the pain just became everything but bearable, I went to the ER, and I was checked for everything possible, you know. And the doctor came in, he saw me, he left out, and he never returned. And it just seemed like an eternity, just waiting for someone to come back and give me some type of inkling as to what was going on with me, you know. Um, The nurse finally returned. And she asked if I had an OBGYN, and I was like, no, I don't have an OBGYN. And I still wasn't grasping why she would even ask me that question. I sat there. I watched her write things down on the chart, even though I didn't know what she was writing. And um, shortly after she got done writing, she handed me a prescription for prenatal vitamins and a referral to an OBGYN, and that's when everything just started to come down on me and just sink in as to what really, what the reality of what was going on. You know, I remember just feeling horrible and thinking, you know, how am I going to explain this to my mother? How am I going to explain this to my father? You know, I ended up driving back to school and, finished the day out, even though, you know, mentally I was not there, 
and after school, I got a chance to meet up and talk with my mother, and I revealed to her that I was pregnant. I'd been to the emergency room, and I was told that I was pregnant, and regardless of anything that she could have said that <laughs> would have bothered me, she said the most, She said the exact thing that bothered me. Um, at this time, my mother was transitioning for a new job, and the words that she spoke to me is, I am not taking, you know, any babies with me to another state where I'm going to start a new job. And as a 17-year-old, you can only you can't really imagine your mother rejecting not only you, but your baby that you are carrying. Mm-hmm. You know, so. She wow. began to speak with people. She um, began just petitioning people for advice and what, you know, who can I take her to? Where is the place? Because I have to take care of this problem. And just to know that you're a, you are a problem to your to your mother, and the baby right. that you're carrying is a problem. It's it's a very very disheartening feeling to. I really can't even describe it. Mm. You know, I remember um, her talking to a woman, and this woman told her about this abortion meal in Little Rock because we were living in Little Rock at the time, Little Rock, Arkansas. And she explained to her the procedure, which was nothing compared to what I went through, the way she explained it. You know, she would tell huh. my mother things as how I wouldn't feel a thing, I'd be sleeping, and, every you know, it would go well. And finally it came to the day where we went to the abortion meal and, I remember protesters outside, and they were picketing, and they had these pictures wow. up of unborn babies. And I just remember wanting to just jump out of my mother's car and just run to one of those people and just say, help oh. me, I, I want to do this. Oh. You know, but that didn't happen. We ended up inside of the clinic, and... My mother filled out paperwork, and I was called back, and I was basically put on a table and given anesthesia to um, put me to sleep, and mm-hmm. that's basically where I can say that I, quote, unquote, had life sucked out of me. Uh, my goodness. What they didn't <clears throat> understand is that, I was not completely incoherent. I was half awake, and I could hear them talking, even though the sounds were muffled under right. the vacuum sound of the machine. And even, right. you know, till this day, I cannot stand the sound of a vacuum cleaner because it just reminds oh, me of my experience. You know, it it was very, very difficult for me because, my life seems as if it just would never be the same. And it, it has never been the same since that day. You know, oh, that awful spirit of abortion was planted in me. It, 
it, uh, I went through a lot during that time. Right before that, you know, I had my abortion in May. Right before that, in February, I lost my grandfather, and in May, I was losing my child to abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very horrible way to begin adulthood. You know. Yeah. And with that experience, no. not. <clears throat> Oh, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead well, what I was just going to say that, you know, with that experience, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it just it changed my life drastically. I was not the same person when I came out that I was before I went in there. Wow. How would you describe yourself before? Before, before I was completely <clears throat> outgoing. I was... I had a very, very, and I still do now, you know, I have a very cheerful disposition. And for a long time, I was not, after my abortion, I wasn't that way Mm. at all. And due to that one abortion and the fact that I say the spirit of abortion was implanted in me, I went on to have more abortions. You know, I use abortion as a form of birth control. And a lot of people you hear say that it doesn't happen, but it does. You know, 45, almost over 45% of women who go through an abortion, they go on to have another one after Mm -hmm. that. Because you have that sense of, well, I made it through that one. I can make it through another Hmm. Wow. And and so were your how did it, it seemed like the it always seems like the first abortion um carries with it the most drama. I guess your mother was involved in that and she had other people involved in that and then she took you to the abortion clinic and it was almost as if um she ordered you to have an abortion. And yes. and it seems like <clears throat> right, and, and it, se- it seems like um, that one is probably the, the the one that sticks out most in people's mind. There's so much drama because it hadn't happened before. Did you find out that, you know, subsequent pregnancies that you had that, and then you aborted again, did your mother have the same type of reaction or was this, um, how did that all play out afterward? Well, after... That one, with another abortion that I had, she didn't quite have that same reaction. She was Mm -hmm. against it, but she she was pro-choice as well. And she's like, you know, it's your body, and I know you've heard these words before. It's your body, it's your choice, but, you know, I don't think you should do it, which really confused me as a young adult because, you know, I – was I thought, you know, well, you took me for my first one, and right. you gave me this feel as of uh, it's a walk in the park, you know, and now you're condemning me because there was con- condemnation, you know, because I'm deciding to do it again. And in my mind, mm-hmm. because my mother, you, my mother took me the first time, it's okay because my mother, the person that I'm supposed right. to trust, took me. 
Right. You know? Oh, that's and and that's how that's how this I to me that's how this type of twisted thing works. Where mm-hmm. you know, you you're you're doing this at the convenience of other people. Right. And then when when it's it, it's time to stand up on your own two feet and you're considering that and somehow they kind of take all their hands off and say, you know, uh, you can make your own choice. Uh, right. When their hands were deep in it <laughs> before. Yeah, very and, and it's not like you can ever back out. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Um, again, I want to go back. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and finish your story. I didn't want to interrupt you, um, but I will a little bit. <laughs> I'll try not to do it too much. That's fine. And, but you know, and even after that, you, it seems as if every good thing that I would start, and I say this to say that everyone says that, oh, you won't be affected. It'll be okay. You can go on with your life. It'll make things easier. But it seems, it seemed after. Everything that I started that would be good for me going forward in life and uh, my progression, it was aborted as well. And a list of things such as um, school friendships, um, relationships, careers, you know, it just seemed like every time that I would abort my baby, I was aborting myself. And, And really you are. You are. You're aborting mm. not only a physical part of yourself, but a, an emotional part, a mental part, you know, and it, and it really, really affects you in a way that is so inexplainable. I hear a lot of women um, on social networks who are pro-choice or pro-abort, and, they, and they've had abortions, and they say, well, I don't regret my abortion. And I mm-hmm. sometimes I just think if you don't regret it now, Sooner than later, sooner than later, you will. Mhm. And yeah, uh, uh, sometimes you're right. I, and I hear that a lot. Um, most of the women that that I have uh, met who are speaking out about their abortion experience, um, it, it has been quite a number of years ago since they had an abortion. We're talking maybe t- fifteen years or more. Oh, and yeah. they said it's taken them that long to come to terms with it because for for the most part, within those first 15 years, you're running away from it. Um, you are. You're running away <clears throat> from it. You're suppressing it. Um, you're doing a lot of things to just separate it from your thoughts. So you're you're trying to. Mm-hmm. I, I went mm-hmm. through a lot of um, a lot of um, suppressive um, actions that I took on in my life, such as. Um, Self-mutilation, um, and when I say self-mutilation, mm. I mean tattoos. I mean anything that would that I felt was painful enough that I thought would punish me for what I did. Oh, you know, my. you take yourself through painful situations, and <clears throat> I felt that I deserved it. I deserved that pain because of what I'd done. Did your mom see this happening to you? Did she observe kind of a pattern of self-destructive behavior? Yes, yes, and a lot of other family members. But in, I'll say, a lot of times 
in the black family, in the black community, we don't talk about those things. We don't mm. seek counseling for issues such as abortion or, or rape or child molestation. We don't seek help for those or counseling for those type of situations that we've gone through. So it's a really, really tough uh, tough situation to deal with, especially when you're dealing with it by yourself. Wow. I want to take a um, make sure that Thomas doesn't have anything he wants to say. Hey, Thomas, I know you're on, um, you're muted for a moment, but I wanted to ask you if there was anything you'd like to ask our guest. Oh no, I'm just I'm just listening away. I I enjoy hearing her story because it's 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 much more um, hearing it in your own words. It, it's just as powerful as when I read it on your blog. So I really appreciate. I just I really appreciate your story, Shannon. So um, keep talking. Okay. I'm just listening and just keep hearing. All right, all right. <laughs> um, I have a couple more questions, um, just out of curiosity. You know, I, you know, the part of me when you told me that there were uh, there were pro life uh, demonstrators outside the abortion clinic, and that you wanted to make contact with them. You know, part of me was like, oh, I wish so much I could turn back the clock and put you back oh, that yeah. day and have it turn out differently. How how yeah. do you? I mean. What do you say when people kind of criticize pro-life demonstrators outside? I mean, how can you encourage those that are actively seeking out those girls that are they, they have not yet committed to this abortion or made up their mind they're there because somebody took them there and, and they would really love to hear another person say that it's going to be okay, that you're pregnant? Um, what would you say to, to get somebody to turn around and, and – Give those pro-life demonstrators a chance. Oh, wow. What I do say, because I am at the abortion meals um, on the weekends, and I, I see those girls, and I see their faces, and I see myself in them. You know, most of them that are going in there, they're going in for various reasons, uh, for personal conveniences, because someone is forcing them, um, and some of the things that I say have been life-changing for them to the point where they will come back because that's the particular meal here in Little Rock. Um, we're not allowed to go on their property, but there is a long slab of sidewalk where we can catch them before they get up this hill to the door. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if I can catch them, if I can make eye contact with them, you know, I give them literature on the dangers of abortion. I give them literature on um, just different pregnant with um, information about different pregnancy centers that will help them, that will assist them in, you know, having their child, raising a, a, a healthy child. Um, I give them information um, on. Um, centers that will help them as a pregnant mother, you know, I give them the gospel. That's first and foremost because right. a lot of these young women don't realize that that God loves them. 
God loves them, and he wants, you know, he has plans not only for them but for their unborn baby as well. And if I can get if I can get 10 seconds with them, I'm like a car salesman. <laughs> and I hate to, right. you know, bring it down to a car, being a car salesman, but, you know, I, I just talk to them. I give them my experience. And I don't always share my testimony, but when God speaks to me, I give them everything that I can within that 10 to 15 seconds. And almost within the first five seconds, you know when they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And when I can realize that they do not want to do it and I have them, they're quote-unquote sold, I will walk them the other way down the sidewalk. I will give them my testimony, and I will give them all types of information that they can use to help them um, when they decide or if they decide to have their baby. You know, and, and we do have some who, you know, that decide, okay, this is something that I want to do, this is something I feel like I have to do. And I, I have information for them as well, such as uh, post-abortive, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, post-abortive um, supportive groups that they can attend, counseling that they can attend. We have two um, pregnancy centers in central Arkansas, uh, pregnancy resource centers, uh, post-abortive um, women's centers that they can go to, you know, for post-abortive um, trauma, and it's it, it's really hard sometimes, especially being post-abortive, but I feel like I know, I don't feel, I know that it's my duty to share what I've been through with this person because I don't want another woman to go through what I've been through. Mm-hmm. It, 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 never, it never ceases to boggle my mind how when, when, when girls are told, you know, as teenagers, if you if you get pregnant and you need a, a fast solution to your pregnancy, have an abortion, everything will be okay afterward. Um, how is it that nobody ever tells young girls what it's really like after you have an abortion? It's all about the money. The abortion industry makes billions. They make billions off and they make billions off of your fear. And th- and that's what's so sad and so pathetic about Planned Parenthood and, and different abortionists and abortion mills because they play on your fear. That's right. And they use that against you, you know, and, and instead of helping you. It's so ironic that <laughs> some of these centers are called family planning. If you're writing family, would you not think that (laughs) you would not abort? If you're planning family, you know, common sense would tell you that's not planning a family. That's planning your baby's demise. That's right. Wow. Um, I, I, I just, because... I'm on the other side of of this story. You know, I never had to think about I never had a crisis pregnancy of uh, you know, of a single mom type of nature. Um so I never had to face, you know, the pressure from other people to abort my baby. Um both my kids were not planned. There were those surprises 
and I, I went through how my life is going to change with them. But, you know, I was married. My husband and I loved our kids. We did go through that that stage where we were thinking, do we want our lives to, to change so radically uh, so soon? Mm-hmm. But on, but my my personal experience has been on the other side where I was a potential victim of abortion. And thank God that my mom decided that she was not going to listen to her doctor who said that she was too old to have a child. Uh-huh. And that um, back then they didn't do all this all this genetic testing, so there was no way to know if I was possibly a Down syndrome child or had any other kind of genetic disease due to my mother's advanced age at 42, which I'm thinking, you know what? 42 is not old. <laughs> now that exactly. I'm closer to being 42, 42 is not old. No, it isn't at all. <laughs> and and some women, some women may may have a risk of having a child with Down syndrome. But you know what? There is a there is a little girl that, who has Down syndrome, um, who's who has an older brother uh, who takes martial arts lessons with my kids and I get to see this little girl every week and she is just a joy and a delight oh I'm sure she has down syndrome and so she's a little she's a little noisy sometimes and she's a little objectionable sometimes but she is so sweet at the same I mean she hugs she hugs everybody in the room (laughs) like multiple times and when, like when she says hello, and when they leave, she's got to give everybody a hug, and she is the sweetest, cutest thing. And I cannot imagine, um, for any convenience sake, somebody taking her life away. I can't exactly. imagine that ever being a good thing, even though, as a special needs child, she is, she does have, she does have extra needs than a child her age who doesn't have Down syndrome. But being on this side of abortion, I don't see a good enough reason why anybody would abort um, that that anyone's given. So, um, so So what I'm saying, I'm trying to say here, is that I think post abortive women and and those like Thomas and myself who have been potential victims of abortion, who have had a very close brush with with a potential abortion death, uh, need to work together and of course and talk about how hey you know what women can women can have a life that is not in any way uh, harmed by having a child, and Thomas and myself are also proclaiming that we are not a curse on anyone's life for being here. Amen. And, um, you know, I think when, I was just saying, when we, when we get that message out in mass, I think huge, I think that pendulum is going to swing all the way, all the way to pro-life because we, we, right now we have 54% of the American public who thinks that abortion on demand is wrong. There should be at least some restrictions on abortion. 
I think we can push that higher and higher. And go ahead. Hey, look, yes. yes. I have a question for Miss Shannon. Um, I was curious. Do you know or remember the um, who it was of the young ladies that you have reached out to at the abortion clinic that impacted you the most? Oh, yeah. I remember um, it was one young lady um, whom her mother brought her there. Her mother did not want her to do it. She um, was very young, maybe 16 or 17, and she'd already had um, a little baby, um, maybe one in the car seat in the back seat, and um, we were able um, to speak with her and just pray with her. And she left. She left that day, and I gave her my phone number, and uh, I'm a part of also an organization here called Black Americans, Black Arkansans for Life, um, the Pulaski County chapter, and I gave her our information, and I just assured her, whatever help you need, call me, diapers, blankets, socks, whatever, just call and and I remember her the most because she was the most adamant about I can't do this. I have a child already. I don't want to do this again. And and once mm-hmm. you instill in that person that I'm not gonna just stand here and say keep your baby, keep your baby and once you keep your baby I'm gone forever. No, I am right. here with you for the rest of your life. You have to knock me off with a stick. Because I want to be there the, the remainder of the time to make sure that everything is going well with this young lady or this young woman. And I, I don't want people to think we as pro-life, because a lot of pro-aborts will put that out there. Well, once this lady keeps her baby or this woman keeps her baby, what are you going to do then? You're just going to leave. Right. Well, no, that's not, that, that's not what we do. We don't do that. Right. So I do want to make that known. You know, but that that was most memorable memorable to me because she was so adamant about not having this baby, and with everyone in her family who wanted her to keep this baby, um, it was God speaking through me that made her change her mind and make the decision to keep her child. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That that is so powerful. I know. Um, just like um, you, Letitia, she's been out in front of the. Um, he's been out in front of the abortion clinics, the sidewalk counseling, that sort of thing. My my involvement is a little is a little bit more sneaky than that. What I mean, I'm one of those individuals. I like to do things behind the scenes that mm-hmm. affect. Um, that affect the lives of the of the mothers. Well, in this case, um, there was a young lady who she was mentally disabled, and so what happened here in Missouri, and this recently happened, um, she she had to give her baby up to her aunt, and so her aunt was. Uh, looking for baby clothes for her. And so my cousin, who sits on the board of 
um, Black Americans for Life here in Missouri. Um, I overheard her talking on the phone because they they were they had received a phone call and said, uh, you know, we need clothes for the baby and so on and so forth. And so after she got off the phone, I went over to her and I said, you know, um, what kind of, what kind of stuff are you guys looking for? Mm-hmm. And long story short, one of the things, well, the absolute thing that blesses me the most is being able to make a phone call, you know, and say, hey, there's a need here, and have people like yourself, Shannon, like um, Letitia, who, in this case, it was my friend Terry, who works at Babies R Us. She went to the rack and filled up a box of, Build up one of those big boxes. If you can fit it, you ship it. UPS boxes, or postal mm-hmm. service boxes. Sent the baby the nicest clothes. I love that because you That's know amazing. what? It's people putting their putting actions into into um, into being, and ultimately, my heart's prayer is to be able to be one of those individuals that a Missouri Black American for Life or Arkansas for Life can can come to and say, hey, we have a need. And mm-hmm. I can say, well, Lord, we have this need. And he'll put us in a position to be able to give money. Because quite frankly, I am sick and I'm tired of the pro-abort being able to use individuals like a Wendy Davis to raise $3 million for their ungodly causes in the pro-life community. We're so fragmented and divided. We can't mm-hmm. even we can't even figure out what initiative we want to follow. I mean, right. it's all working together. It's mm-hmm. all working together, and it dishonors those like you, Shannon, who's actually in the trenches, who, who are actually on the sidewalks because of all the infighting and the fact that when you all want to hold events, you have to struggle to raise money. That mm-hmm. bothers It really bothers me because with us having the right message, we shouldn't have to struggle. We should not have to struggle. But when well, we in have, our minds, that would be that would be on. a world that works works a little more right. But I mean, we have we have legal abortions, so we know that the world does not work right. And right. I'm not surprised that those who those who love darkness and like to like pro-death are willing to to fund it i mean that i mean it's not just people who are donating money <clears throat> to to pro-death causes it, it's a government it, it's the people who are the liberals in government and the pro-abortionists who are in, in government that are funneling our collective dollars to mm-hmm. fund 
and encourage pro-death of all kinds. I mean, that's, that's the system we live in. The people who are running it are the ones that are doing this. It is not necessarily, you know, the system that we live in, but that's who, is, who holds the microphone, like I've said many times, and who runs the business, the day-to-day operations. Fortunately, we live in a representative government. We can vote them out. The question is, are we? Will we? (laughs) Will we? And when are we going? And when are we going to? That is a great. That is a great question. Um, And and with that question, we all need to be working to replace those um, who are pro-death that are giving our money away to to ensure that the next generation doesn't live. That's right. And a lot of that will come with more education um, regarding abortion, the effects of abortion, post-abortion. And and that's really what Arkansas Black Americans for Life um, stands for here, just educating the community, um, not only about abortion, but also um, about our legislators, our, um, uh, the politicians in, in our state, what they stand for, what, what, you know what they're all about. Once you know what this person is about, what they're for, you can better decide. You know what you're going to vote for, who you're going to vote for, and and when you're right. going to vote. You know, so that it's really, really, really all about educating um, each other and empowering each other to get out there and let them know we have a voice. We don't appreciate this, so we're going to do whatever we can to do away with this. Shannon, here's the thing. Wouldn't you say it's time for the post-abortive moms to get mad and really say enough is enough? Because here's the thing, and you mentioned education. The American society as a whole has been educated on this issue into their black and blue in the face, and you still have people who have buried their heads in the sand. And let me mm-hmm. let me speak to something that'll hit right home with you, because I remember you posted about it probably a couple of weeks ago. I had mm-hmm. a conversation with a dear friend of mine who's a pastor, and um, we was talking about we got to talking about the abortion issue and why black pastors don't talk about it. And this is what he said to me, and I'm a paraphrase. Well, I don't talk about it because even though I think it's wrong, that's an issue between a woman and God. Well, God. Okay. Day, hold, hold on. You don't even understand how much, how many times I've heard that, <laughs> but I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hold on though. What what happened the next day is going is something that is going to totally blow you away. I mean, I'm still thinking about that, so I'm taking a shower the next day, and the Lord drops in my heart. Well, sin is a choice between a person and me as well. How can you talk about sin but not address the issue? Of abortion, my mm. mouth hit the ground because I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. 
and 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 it was like the Lord slapped me with that revelation, and it totally floored me. So I want you to, and I don't want you to be. Basically, I want you to be uncut in your feelings about this because I know how you feel about this. What? To be Lydia? I think we lost Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> His phone must have cut off. All right. Well, I think what, what he what he his, he told me about this last week. I think what he meant to say is that pastors aren't afraid to talk about the, the litany of other things, other moral wrongs that we commit on a day-to-day basis. Some of them are even willing to preach against divorce. I'm sorry. Oh, you know. yeah. oh, yep, okay. you out for a little while. But, yeah. um, oh. okay, so Thomas, since you're back, you go ahead and finish what you were saying. Oh, did I cut out? Or yes. did you guys cut out? Okay, I apologize. What was the last thing y'all heard me say? Um, you were about to tell us what what the Lord ha- had revealed to you about how pastors preach. You had told me this last week, so go ahead and finish finish it and get get to the punchline. We're all waiting. <laughs> Oh, I think we lost him again. All right, I'm not going to keep you in suspense anymore. But pastors don't have any problem preaching against all the other things that that are moral wrongs. Right. But aren't all those and moral some, wrongs also again between us and God? And they are. They are. I mean, if they want to put it in in that aspect, then yes, of course it is. But I don't understand, I will never understand how they feel free to preach about those sins and won't preach about the sin of abortion. Is that is abortion not a sin as well? Because right. from the scripture that I know and that I remember and the scripture that I have in my heart, it tells me that abortion is wrong. So... There, there's always a double standard. I know pastors who even go as far as to tell you who to vote for, but they won't speak about abortion. Wow. All right, Thomas, are you back with us? Yeah, I. you know what? I look at it like this. Can you hear me okay? Yes. yes. Okay, I apologize, and it sounded like and you started to answer my question because I wanted to I wanted to hear your feeling on black pastors who refuse to talk address that issue because what I don't understand they can talk about a woman shaking her tail up in the club or they can talking about talk about someone drinking too much but they can't address the fact. And when I say address the fact, I'm not talking about a pastor come coming at a woman the way they come at some sinners, basically condemning her for the actions. They can't even address the issue by saying, you know, there may be some women in our church who have had abortions, but I want you to know that there is healing in the name of Jesus. They can't even say that. I have a problem with that. They won't say it. They won't touch on it. 
And and it, and you said that you know when when do I feel like it's time to get mad? I I don't feel like it's time to get mad. I feel like it's time to get angry, and it's past time. Right, it's past time to get out and reach these women and talk to them. What the pastor won't say, the post-abortive mother should say. You know, Amen. because you're sitting Amen. in congregation and the percentage of women who have had an abortion, it is one, probably one out of every three women in that church who's dealt with it or know someone who has. So why can't we touch on it? Why can't we put our hands all over it? Not just touch on it, but talk about it, speak about it, bring it up, you know, and it's time to do, it's past time to do that. You know, you don't ever forget to pass that collection plate around, but you forget to talk about abortion or you don't talk about abortion. Right. Let's get real. Let's talk about it. Because there are definitely women in the church who need this healing and need to know that they need to know that they are forgiven. Some women don't even know that. They're they're spending their time, like I did, Punishing themselves for what they did, not knowing that because of the love of Jesus Christ, because God sent his son to die for our sins, that they are forgiven. They don't even know that. So the least, like you said, Thomas, that a pastor, a preacher, reverend, minister can do is let them know that if you have done it, if you have thought about doing it, you're forgiven and be healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, See, and that's, no, I, that's what I'm talking about. Wow. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. And, and I and that not, um, right. If I'd i known that, if I'd known just a little bit of that, I don't think I would have gone through the resentment, the hardship of having relationships, um, the self mutilization, the anger. I don't think I would have gone through any of that if someone um, had just told me you're, you're forgiven, and not only that I was forgiven, but to also repent and not do it again. You know, so we we need that. And if the pastor's not going to do it, I am one post-abortive woman who will. Mm-hmm. Amen. And, it, and it's true what Alan Parker what Alan Parker had said that um, when post-abortive mothers start speaking up en masse, the country will have to listen. It will not be able to ignore all this. The confession of so many mothers who say, I went through this. It's horrible. Nobody should have to go through this. It's only because um, we allow it to happen that it's happening. Right, and one of the things that I I learned growing up from my father um, was never let anyone speak for you. You have your own voice, and I think and if if we're not using our voices as, as post-abortive women, we're letting post-abortive people speak for us. We're letting uh, right. Planned Parenthood speak for us. We're letting pro-choicers right. speak for us if we're not speaking let, for ourselves. And if this doesn't Scare the living daylights out of people. We're living, we're letting people like Nancy Pelosi speak for us. 
because exactly. that right. you didn't even know what was in it until you have to pass the bill in order to know what's in it. How exactly. ridiculous. If, if exactly. this is her, and, the way she does business, I don't want her speaking for anybody. Exactly. And, and you have these women like Wendy Davis who says, I had no idea what was going on at God's Nails Clinic. Well, if I'm one woman in nowhere, Arkansas, who knew what was going on at God's Nails Clinic, you knew as well. So why would I want you to speak for me, the post-abortive woman? Why would I want you to hold that microphone and tell the nation that, oh, post-abortive women are fine? No, we're not. We are fine because we're healed. And you're not doing anything by lying to help us heal. So you are not right. the person that I'm to speak for me. So as I said before, it's time. It's time. It's our duty, um, you know, and, and we're charged. We are charged by God to speak for those who do not have a voice. We are, you know, I, my motto is I am a voice for the voiceless. I am a voice for unborn babies. So when I speak for myself, I'm, I'm not only speaking for myself, I'm speaking for these babies who cannot speak and say, Mommy, I want to live. Mm. Right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, this is the message for every every young woman out there who is is being told that they cannot live their lives with a baby, that Essentially, what they're being told is someone has to die in order for you to live the life the way you want. Um, exactly. And that should not be. It is, it should, it is, it is one of the biggest lies of our, our society today to say that, that we have to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice our children on the altar of personal convenience in order to, to go on with life. I mean, there's, that's all kinds of wrong. I can't imagine anything more disempowering for a woman to hear than that, that you need something done to you, and you need to kill your child in order to go on with your life. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, it's only it's going to cost you $1,000. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to kick women harder when they're down than that. that that's just okay. got to be the worst. Um, yeah. So I... I <clears throat> You hit on our stupidest thing ever, which is Miss Wendy Davis. And uh, why don't we move on to oh, our let's stupidest let's thing ever segment today? Yes. What is it? Before you go on, I gotta share this because um, okay. I don't I don't know what's been happening to me, but um, more and more I've been hearing when I I hear the stories about the babies when they were being aborted, how they would move away from the instrument. And I have found myself cringing just at the visualization of that, quite frankly. I'm getting really pissed because you have multiple victims in this situation. You have that unborn baby. You have that mother who's made to feel worthless and useless because she got pregnant. 
Now, let me tell you something, and I want to correct something. Two people may have been irresponsible and not using protection. That baby is not a mistake, and we need to stop referring to that baby as a mistake. One. Right. God equipped women to be the nurturers to be the lovers of um, of children. Shannon, you, Leticia, Melissa, with her newborn, you, you three probably love your children more than just about probably any women that I know, you know. Yes. And um, quite frankly, I can't shake that thought when I think about what that little baby endures. And then that woman, while she's under anesthesia, her body being is being violated by the instruments of death by a bunch of lying, manipulating, racist individuals who think that their lifestyles is threatened because people that they consider either too poor or not of the right pedigree are taking up too much oxygen. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you something to any hidden pro-abortion liberal supporting abortion rights activists who may be listening behind the scenes. I don't care. Because at the end of the day, the thing you do is not based on love. It's based on the mutual destruction of lives, the lives of the unborn and the life of that mother. Because once you're done, once you've got what you, what you wanted, you toss that woman out like she's a piece of trash. Well, I'm here to say this. As a man, I am standing up for not only the unborn baby, in a, but the post-aborted woman in pro-abort. You have no, you have a major problem because now I'm coming, and all the money in the world, your billions that you get in your stinking little pack, is not going to stay save you from what I'm about to say because as a black man who you have tried to exterminate my community, I get to call you for what you are, a racist, evil, um, people-hating, tree-hugging, putting animals above the life of a human being, waste of an organization. And with that, Letitia, I toss it back to you. Well, I can't possibly follow that, um, except that I actually I don't have want to follow that. <laughs> I don't want to follow that either. <laughs> uh, but we have we actually have two stories that I have in for running uh, the stupidest thing ever. One, I think we're gonna I'm gonna bring on the second one because Shan had pointed out the first one, which is uh, Wendy Davis, <clears throat> who. Um, who spent 11 hours filibustering uh, the Texas uh, pro-life bill that uh, required uh, that that tried to ban abortions after 20 weeks, 
and she successfully filibustered it, and so she became kind of the darling of the pro-abortion community. And while the darling of the pro-abortion community, who is now thrust into the spotlight, probably uh, prematurely, because just because you stand up and talk your your rear end off for 11 hours does not make you an expert on anything that you're trying to defend, because she was asked this week how uh, by a, a reporter about Kermit Gosnell and how um, to explain the difference between late-term abortions that she fought to keep legal in Texas and the illegal late-term born-alive abortions that Kermit Gosnell did, um, as well as just plain late-term abortions that were beyond the scope of the law. And her reply was, I don't know what happened in the Gosnell case. Mm. Oh, really? You woman who filibustered for 11 hours on the bill that was written in response to what happened in Philadelphia with Kermit Gosnell and his house of cat feces and abortion, Mm -hmm. don't know the reason why that bill was written and therefore uh, can't comment on that? First of all, I don't think that she's telling the truth. I mean, I think she knows all about it, and she refuses to answer because her saying anything is going to incriminate her and the entire pro-abortion movement as to how uh, depraved they really are in this position. Not only do they not know science and how and human and life conception, but they're willing to lie about it in order to protect their business. Right. So that is that is one of the stupidest things ever because she that answer was truly stupid. I just don't know about the Cosmo case. Liar. And if you don't know, why should we have any confidence in her speaking for any woman uh in the abortion issue? Uh, right. second thing the second thing that I found, let me you find the story. I might have clicked away from it. Here it is. Is that there was the Guardian had the Guardian, the, which is an online um, paper from the UK, I think, uh, has a has an article. It's kind of snarkily written because it's written by a feminist pro-abortion leftist who who wrote about how it seems like. Women with higher intelligences, higher IQs, and, and therefore higher educa- levels of education are having fewer and fewer children. And they're coming under due criticism saying they're so smart, they're stupid by not having kids, by, by refusing to have a, a family in favor of their lifestyles, which I guess don't include children. <laughs> And so the author of this article is criticizing those who criticize women who aren't having children, who happen to have high IQs. And so um, she tries to point out and ask, well, nobody asks these women why why are you having children. Instead, they're always being asked, why aren't you having children? Well, probably because the default, biological default of all women anywhere, regardless of intelligence, is that when we grow up, we marry and have families. That means having babies. And so I, I found 
so the article is not what I'm trying to point out as being stupid, although I do think this article is pretty stupid. Criticizing people like Mike Huckabee and and, and um, Tim Carlson. So what's his name? The guy that used to wear the bow tie. Anyway, uh, for criticizing women. What is What I found completely ironic and completely stupid about the pro-abortion movement is that abortion was designed and pushed on what population of people? Poor. Women of color. Mostly poor. Um, I mean, they emphasize the poverty aspect in abortion. Have an abortion because you can't afford to have children, or you're too dumb to have children because you're not intelligent enough to take care of a child. And what are we seeing instead? We are seeing a lack of childbearing and childrearing, which includes a lot of abortion and includes a lot of a lot of um, birth control contraception that can lead to abortions in the wealthy and well-educated. And they're defending, so the leftists are defending smaller families by the more wealthy in society. Well, here we go. If the poor aren't, shouldn't have children and the rich are praised for not having children, who's having children? Nobody. Nobody. And that, that uh, population control mantra comes through loud and clear. And not only is population control a gigantic scam, it is pro-death to the core. It has been the leading ideology of eugenics and the Holocaust and genocide and the gender side that is happening even today. So it seems like with with having children, you can't, nobody should be having children. It's a no-win situation. And that, to me, is the stupidest thing ever because then nobody can, nobody by any standard, economic, financial standard, is allowed to have kids. And I'm sorry, hey, it's, it's it not sounds- Tim Carlson, that's Tucker Carlson. Somebody's going to call me out on that, I know. That's kind of like Ronald Reagan's um, um, saying from back in the day, you know, the ones who support abortion are already alive. Basically what he was saying, if you're so for abortion, why don't you abort yourself? I mean, that's a legitimate question if you think about it. All these folks, people like Bill Gates, the Tide Foundation, um, many of these organizations that support population control. Well, if you're so for population control, nothing is keeping you from committing suicide. Right. I yeah. mean, I mean, and you don't even have to. <clears throat> right. Go, and, go ahead, and, and forget about legalized, legalized, uh, legalized suicide or whatever they call it. Yeah, euthanasia, euthanasia. Um, euthanasia, right. where where you refuse to, where people are refused food and water so that they'll die. I mean, if you want legalized assisted suicide, you don't even need drugs. 
just stop eating and drinking. You'll be taken care of that in about a week or two. Right, exactly. But yet, because these people, they think because, oh, we have all this money, therefore that makes us elite enough to make all these decisions. That's right. I'll say it before. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't care how much money you have. Last time I looked, you, sir, you, ma'am, Bill and Melinda Gates, you don't run my life. Your billions might control the other mass idiots, but they don't control me. And to all these people who get so caught up in, oh, I'm scared of the Illuminati and all this, that, and the other, I have this one thing to say. I belong to the biggest gang in the world. It's called my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you really want to go up against him, go ahead, make my day, because all I have to do is say, hey, Lord, send forth your ministering angels for, for my protection and protect those that I love. And to all you believers who don't believe in that, maybe you need to start reading your Bible a little bit more because we're the ones that have the power and the authority in Christ Jesus if we actually had enough guts to believe what the Word of God actually said. Amen. Amen to that. All right. And with that, we need to start rolling our, our closing music. Uh, our guest today will try to reschedule Rekha Sharma on for uh, one of these following weeks. She was not able to make it at the last minute, um, but we did have a great segue made for her, <laughs> believe it or yes, not. we did. Uh, but we're going to have to replay that for next week. Um, if you have any closing words, Thomas, and Shannon, I would love to hear it. Go right ahead. Well, being a gentleman... Ladies first. Hi. Just really appreciate you guys having me back. Um, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Letitia, and, of course, you as well, Thomas. Um, I, I'm here. I'm on Facebook. If anyone or any post-abortive women or women who are going um, through the remnants of abortion would like to connect with me, I'm on Facebook, Shan Tatum, or um, my conservative uh Excuse me, my conservative anti-abortion page, Black Woman on the Right. And you can also check out my blog, uh, prettyblessings.weebly.com. At weebly, I'm sorry, dot com. So it's always a pleasure to be on Black Talk with you all. I love you, and God's blessings to all of you. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on on our program. Uh, it was this was wonderful, um, and we will see you again real soon. Yeah, on Facebook. Hey, and um, before you go, Shannon, um, folks, this is this is why myself, Letitia, and Melissa, this is why we do the show. It's young women like this, and folks, I'm gonna challenge you on something. People like her, myself, Melissa, Letitia, and many others who are actually in the trenches, who are actually trying to truly change the world, we have to start putting our money where our mouth is. 
we have to start right. sowing seeds, good soil. And, um, you know, we have to. You know, a lot of what Shannon does, a lot of what Leticia does, a lot of what I do, it comes out of our own pocket. These are individuals who are worth sowing into their lives. I said all that to say this. God knows my heart, and I know before before my days are ended on this earth, I will be able to say that God did use me to be a blessing to those who were standing for true righteousness, because that's and what it's that's about. You are, and God right is right. to bless you in that. I believe that. Thank you, Shannon, once again, my friend. And um, if you get around to it, please friend me on Facebook. <laughs> I will. I love you, Thomas. <laughs> and I do want to add one more thing um, to this uh, program before I go. You know, a lot of people sure. are asking, you know, what what can I do? I mean, I'm, I'm just me. What, what can someone like me do? You know, I have a 15-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son, and Brianna and Bryce are with me every time I go to the abortion meal. They are riding um, on the sidewalk with chalk. You know, a box of chalk is a dollar. You can come out. You you don't even have to say a word. You can just hold your sign. You can pray for that for these women. Um, you know, if you have children, you can bring them. And um, my son, he's 11, and he always likes to hold the sign um, that says men do regret abortion. And, you know, it, it, you can do – it's the smallest thing that counts. Money goes a long way, but it isn't everything. Sometimes it's just you – you're, as, you know, yourself. You can come out there and, and for everyone in Little Rock, Arkansas, if you don't know what you can do, I will give you something to do, believe me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a little, and I, I just want to end it by saying it, it's just a little, the smallest thing that counts, just your presence, yeah. just you being there and, and you praying for those women who are going in and coming out. Of, of that abortion clinic because, like I said, once you go in, you do not come out the same. Right. Amen. Right. Amen. That's right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is that is the that is truth from an actual woman who survived her abortion and lived to tell how it had changed it has changed her life. But there is hope for you if you have gone through that experience. Um, in forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We pray and we hope for the best. We pray for babies to be alive at the end of the day and for women to make that decision to keep their babies alive. Um, but thank you for listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Uh, we will be back next week with more exciting um, news and commentary for you and education, as always. Thank you for listening yes. to Pro-Life Fridays yes. Radio. And we will see you next week. Good night, Thomas. Good night, Shannon. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.
hands up open wide Put your hands up side by side Age don't matter like race don't matter like place don't matter like what's inside Let the kick drum kick one time Breathe out let your mind unwind Eyes on the ceiling looking for the feeling Wide open let your own eyes You're stronger, stronger than 
Take that step out on the water 